0: Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer
1: for details.
0: Welcome to the Business of Esports Podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world, and the future of fun. Please welcome your host, Paul, the Esports Prophet, Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now.
2: From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul, the Prophet Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, the Honorable Judge Jimmy Barada. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of Esports. What we do is we cover the most pressing gaming and esports topics and news of the week. But we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the love, the five-star ratings and reviews. Now I go, we make sure to read every single review. We appreciate everyone. It's a big reason why we do the show. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, go leave a review on the podcast, wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, and share it with a friend, with a colleague, someone someone who maybe works in or around the industry. Um, it's really appreciated. It's how the podcast has continued to grow. Jimmy, how you doing this week? What a what a week,
3: Paul! I feel like we just recorded yesterday. You know, between the, the <laughs> holiday weekend and Happy Fourth of July to all of our American listeners out there. But between the holiday weekend, the crazy busy weekend, and all the movement that's happening, and and obviously my favorite day, which is podcast day, when we record this and some of our other content, it just flew by. How's your week
2: going? How are you holding up? As someone who's no longer in the U.S., um, July 4th was just a big hassle because the banks weren't open. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, you know, now U.S. holidays are are an inconvenience, not uh, not something to look forward to, unfortunately. Um, I will say, you know, this is the this is the. I haven't. I haven't been able to to really play a game, a new game, in a while, um, and I'm I'm like I'm starting to miss my gaming PC. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting it to that point where I, I, I'm missing it. Uh, I'm surprised. You didn't part, travel. Mm-hmm. The fortunate part, there's no new games to play. So, I mean, I guess it's, there's a silver lining. You're not missing
3: anything, that's for sure. I'm surprised you don't have like a portable. P- one of my buddies just rebuilt his rig into a pocket PC with a handle that he can travel with. It looks pretty neat. I kind of want one. But then you have to rely on hotel Wi-Fi, which might not be you know, the best thing. I don't know. Maybe this is the month we finally get you in on some mobile gaming, on some Diablo Immortal or, or, or what
2: have you. But I, mean- I, I doubt it of course I have one. I didn't say I didn't have one. And I have, I have a gaming laptop sitting in front of me here. It's just, it's not the same, you know, and it's not your setup. It's not your, you know, like there's a, there's a level of like, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, you know me, I'm not a mobile gamer. And so like anything less than the perfect exact setup for me feels incomplete, feels, feels wrong. Um, But, uh, you know, we've had we had this discussion on on the live stream, which was fun around, you know, what are the new games coming out um, or the lack thereof? And so I'm a little bit, I I feel like uh, I'm not feeling so bad about it as a consequence, but I am I am missing my gaming PC and my sim rig and all those things.
3: And to your point, though, new new live stream for those of you that are are you know just tuning in or haven't tuned in, tuned in in a while, we're trying to do it a little earlier in the day to to see if if that's a, a time that everyone likes, so we can get some more engagement, more involvement. We had great, I thought, engagement with the later show. But a lot of people that are watching this, you know, simultaneously while working that we said, hey, let's move this up 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. Uh, and and you know what? It's been wonderful seeing a lot of new faces that chime in that say, I didn't, never got to watch the show because it was too late at yeah. night for me. Right. And, and now they're 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 regulars.
2: Yeah. And, and if, if your boss has an issue, tell them you're working. I mean, you're doing market research. I think this is a, it's a very simple excuse why you need to be tuning in at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on a Wednesday. This is like like tuning into a webinar, but better. It's a free and weekly free. masterclass. There you go. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Um, so speaking of masterclass, I mean, we have uh, uh, a guest today who could easily teach a masterclass on esports. sports um, CEO of Gen.G, none other than Arnold Herr. Uh, for those who don't know, Gen.G, one of the most prominent e- esports organizations on the planet. Arnold, welcome to the Business of Esports podcast. Okay.
4: Well, uh, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
2: Arnold, for those, for the maybe the three people who listen to our podcast who don't know anything about Gen.G, because um, I think it is maybe one of the biggest brands in the esports world, um, could you give a little bit of just your background, you know, why you got into gaming uh, and a little bit of what you're focused on at Genji. a little bit of that story?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, so Genji is a global esports organization. Uh, we're one of the few uh, that are both in the the Western and Eastern markets. So we have an office in Los Angeles and near Santa Monica. Uh, and then we also have an office here in Seoul, Korea, uh, and, and a satellite office over in Shanghai. Uh, and so we're really doing, um, you know, kind of participating in both the esports ecosystem in, in North America, but also in Asia. Uh, and, uh, I, I guess in terms of, uh, what I do, um, so I, I'm the CEO. Uh, I started out like five years ago when we were starting out the company as actually the chief growth officer, moved on to COO, uh, and then transitioned to CEO, uh, late last year. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it, is, uh, yeah, my day to day is a lot of times just, whatever the heck the, the business needs. And, and as you guys know, uh, the industry is going through some rapid change uh, and consolidation these days. So, you know, for us, we're, we're trying to weather the storm and, uh, and try to make it through.
2: Uh, Arnold, you know, you, you have a background that's very interesting. You spent some time at Google, for example. Like, what was the, what was the thing that maybe made you decide, I really want to do this gaming thing. I want to focus my career here. Like, what was that moment or what was that, that
4: turning point? Um, it's funny, you know, when I first started my career, uh, I actually started out at Goldman in in mortgage backed securities during the middle of the financial crisis where we're like shorting the market and (laughs) the world is blowing up and, uh, now they're making movies about my bosses. Uh, but, um, so that's where I started. Uh, I didn't really enjoy finance as much. Um, moved over to uh, the Boston consulting group where actually I I lived in Dubai for a couple of years, um, and for a couple of years. Uh, Try to do a startup of my own, which failed, unfortunately. Fell in love with tech, though. Uh, and I moved over to Google, uh, worked there, um, starting and helping launch uh, Google Travel, which is like, you know, when you search for like uh, hotels, Los Angeles or something on Google, and like that box pops up. Um, yeah. That was a product that, uh, you know, we helped launch and worked on. Uh, and then from there, uh, I did another startup, an e-commerce startup uh, for a few years. Uh, which you know, which ended up doing well, uh, and then I, I joined uh, Gen G when we were starting the company uh, out, out of a uh, conference room in San Francisco. Um, the the reason why th- I, I talk about that in such a long winded way about how I got into gaming was that like I, I kind of got got in through a roundabout way, um, and the funniest part about how I got introduced to Kevin Chu, who's our chairman, uh, when he's starting this company, was I actually participated at Google in League of Legends tournaments so all of the uh, <laughs> engineers hilarious. and everybody would be playing these huge like 300 person tournaments for League of Legends uh, I was on a roster uh, and uh, you know that's, how, that's how, how, kind of how where it started right and so um, you know you never really know when the pieces uh, connect or the dots connect uh, and you know this and I was always had a passion for gaming I've always had a passion for sports you know I was always watching eSports you know, getting excited. Uh, But, you know, one thing led to another and here I am. So uh, you really never know when the dots will connect, but I'm glad it did. Very cool. Um,
2: Would love a little bit of like your take on, you know, the competitive positioning of Genji. Like, how do you see, and and I'll give you some context and people who regular listeners of the podcast uh, get tired, I think, of hearing me say this, but I I, I like to think of esports orgs sort of on a spectrum. And on one end, you have ultra sort of competitive. It's about winning tournaments. It's winning championships, fielding the best players, winning trophies, right? And to me, that's one extreme and, and winning is the focus. And then you have sort of this other extreme, you know, we, I think people have sort of settled on the term hoodie org or, you know, where it's more about um, selling hoodies or, you know, making a cool video out of a content house. Um, and then you have sort of varying degrees in between these two extremes. Um, you know, how do you think about Genji? Whether it's on my spectrum or do you think about that spectrum differently? But what is sort of the competitive positioning of an org like Genji?
4: Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I know people have talked about like, oh, that's a hoodie org or something, but like, I actually don't view it that way. In terms of like, I don't view it as that spectrum. I actually think. You know, uh, some of these orgs that people call hoodie orgs are, are actually ahead of their time and ahead uh, of the industry and in their line of thinking. The reason I say that is I think, you know, right now, uh, and this could be a, a hot take, um, <laughs> but, you know, the the esports industry, the way it's currently constructed uh, is just the business model is completely broken. It doesn't work. Um, you know, there's not enough revenue. There's too many esports teams. Um you know, I think winning alone, and we're always dedicated to winning. Uh, and, you know, we have some of the top rosters in the world, uh, whatever game title that we go into, um, that alone can't bring a profitable business, right? Or, or even a growing business. Um, so my view is that, you know, whether you want to sell hoodies, you whether you want to make content, whether you want to do something else, launch a game or wh- whatever the heck that, that you want to do, like if you stand if you stand pat trying to only win in esports, I don't think you're gonna make it, right? Like the no. esports model, the business model, as it's currently constructed, right? Like not enough digital revenue, not enough skins, not enough whatever Web three. Um, I I actually think that model is completely broken. Um, I actually view it as uh, the esports winter it is coming. Uh, that's what I always say. Is that you know we have. Whatever the number of teams that you think we have right now, I would guess that about 50% are going out of business in the next few years. Uh, so I think the industry is going, coming into a, a reality check moment. Um, and so every esports organization that wants to survive and thrive will have to create a, a business line that makes sense, that's separate from esports. Um, and, and, you know, one, one, uh, one Signal that that's already happening. If you look on the Forbes top ten list, uh, look at how many teams call themselves a sports team uh, on that top ten list. I think it was like only like one. Um, yeah. So the markets, the people that are at the leading edge of esports have already figured this out. Have already expanded into other business lines or are expanding into other business lines as quickly as possible to survive uh, and, and to be successful. So. Um, You know, that's kinda my view on the whole where are you on the spectrum? It's that like if you're not on you're not doing something different from esports as an esports org, you're gonna have a really hard time making it out.
5: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule.
3: So I, I love this idea. And one, I love the compliment to other esports orgs and, and, you know, all finding creative ways. Cause I know we can be critical on this show and, and and sometimes rightfully so, but sometimes, you know, there are defensible positions. And that's why we love having guests as your, such as yourself that can enlighten us and share why you're making certain moves. So t- for you, Arnold, and for Gen G, or, or, but more so for yourself as, as an individual you know, what are the non-esports verticals that you find particularly interesting, whether it's merchandising and licensing, content creation? Uh, I mean, don't let me limit you, but I'm just curious, what are you looking at as far as where you want to expand some of your efforts and see, you know, your org or other orgs, you know, in, in the next six months to, to a year and a half?
4: Yeah, sure. I, I mean, so for us... um, uh education has been kind of the industry that we've expanded into uh and that we found a lot of success um and it naturally ties in with our more competitive focus nature um and more i would say globally competitive focus global competitive focus is probably the right way um and so what we mean by education is uh both on two fronts right in the united states we have done a lot of partnerships, whether it's with University of Kentucky, uh, other uh, universities, uh, and in general, just the collegiate scene and, and partnering with a lot of universities um, to help develop their eSports program and their gaming programs uh, and, and do the right activations there. And then in Asia, both in China and in Korea, we've actually launched uh, an academy. Uh, what we mean by an academy is we've got thousands of kids right now um, that are learning how after school, um, to play League of Legends or Valorant or Overwatch better, uh, and in a team setting. So think of it as like if you play like soccer when you were a kid, or you play golf, or you know you want to get some lessons. Like we basically offer that um, to thousands of kids in Asia. And I and I think we also look for ways, and we have programs where we actually help these young people get opportunities within the gaming industry, whether it's you know, tr- there's, of course, a few that are able to become a pro. Uh, I think one kid uh, went through the program. Now he's our uh, starting support for Overwatch, uh, for our Overwatch <laughs> team, so Dynasty. Um, but the cool. majority clearly, you know, do not become pro, but are able to either get, you know, scholarships to U.S. universities, um, get a career head start in gaming um, and, or esports. Uh, and so that's kind of the program that we've been hyper focused on, that we've grown, that we felt like aligns the most with the kind of competitive and winning nature that we have. Uh, and so that's kind of where that where we've done most of our expansion.
3: Yeah, if I could uh, follow this real briefly, Paul, down a, a tangent. I saw, you know, because uh, Arnold, you had used this term, global competitive focus, and I love that because you know, obviously, Gen G, a very large global brand that. You know bridges those barriers, I think, and kind of acts as a mechanism of perhaps cultural diffusion, or at least kind of sharing gaming as this unifying experience among cultures in different regions. What can you speak? You spoke a little towards education, but what can you speak towards? Uh, with with regard to you know, esports being limited by geography. Certain, you know, we could talk about, I suppose, Activision Blizzard with with their kind of more regional uh, approach to gaming versus what you see as uh, as the future, what Genji's doing in that space as a as a global uh, leader?
4: Yeah, you know, I think um, esports thus far have been limited on two fronts. One is hyper-regional, uh, as in, you know, I mean, Overwatch is an extreme example, which, you know, I, there's, there's good and bad about kind of the city and geolocation, but more in terms of the North America scene is... Almost in a bubble uh, versus, you know, the the scene out in Asia, the scene out in Europe, you know, those are almost like completely separate scenes in terms of esports. And we've always felt like the largest esports markets are in Asia and North America, and that's why we wanted to bridge those two markets because, you know, if if you don't have a presence in LA, if you don't have a presence in Seoul uh, or Shanghai, rather. Uh, as well, like it, it's really hard to say you're at the capital of esports and where the movers and shakers and where the industry's going and having a really keen, uh, view on, on how the industry is evolving. Um, so I think that's one way that esports has been limited. That's one way that, you know, we want to try to help bridge and, and, and cross those boundaries. Um, the other is that the esports industry thus far has relied on trying to Basically, sell sponsorship as the only primary way to to earn money and make money, which I, I think we're we're at the end of that. Like I think we're at the end of relying on pure. Hey, here's a patch on a jersey, you know, um, and, and this is what it's worth because of this many view hours uh, of a, the esports team. Like that era is over, right? Like if if you're playing that game as an esports org. Like it, you're so far behind where the the leading eSports organizations are moving, whether it's doing um you know on the ground activations for brands, acting as a agency that is able to activate for a brand depending on the brand's goals, moving outside of uh eSports competitive players into kind of general gaming and, and lifestyle influencers, you know that that's that's kind of where the juice is when it comes to the sponsorship world. Um, but even more important, you know, the publishers and the eSports industry and the gaming industry needs to move towards digital revenue. They need to move out of telling every single eSports arcade. Hey, you gotta go sell sponsorships and win to to have uh, a break even. Uh, I think where we're gonna head to, and we're starting to see the early signs of that, is that publishers are gonna be a little bit more thoughtful, choose who their partners are. Uh, and and create more of a digital skins-based uh, economy uh, for esports and the esports ecosystem to survive and hopefully thrive. Uh, and I think that's where we're moving to in, in terms of the esports industry. So, you know, it's one of those things that's like really exciting, right? Like, yes, we're going through an esports winter where a lot of esports organizations will not make it out. But coming out of that, we're going to have a much more healthy ecosystem One that actually has a real business model um, and one where, you know, it it can actually be successful because I I think doing more of the same as it currently exists today uh, is a death wish.
2: Uh, Arnold, where's your head
4: at on like
2: broadcast and media rights? Like one of the reasons why traditional sports is a little not recession proof, but a little more recession resistant is because, you know, you have organizations like the NFL that have. Long-term, you know, multi-billion-dollar broadcast deals that feed most of the teams, even if they're not filling stadiums, essentially, right? And so, you know, when money's tight and people don't want to go to a game or go watch an esports match, in this case, um, those broadcast rights in traditional sports fill that hole. Um, Is there a future you see with esports where that's going to happen? Or, or do you really think the
4: future is more in other revenue streams? Um, I, I'm probably more of a negative Nancy when it comes to this, but I think media rights are worth zero, right? Like zero is probably a, a hyper hyperbolic, uh, but it's not worth anything, right? There's only a couple players out there, uh, you know, and they're not looking to bid my, a lot of dollars for this stuff, so you know, well, I, YouTube tried, running, right yeah um, and, watch, you know you'd be surprised <laughs> youtube gaming's crushing it and, and i i think because we're in the esports bubble we fail to recognize that you know the majority of people watch youtube watch gaming through youtube youtube live is doing pretty well youtube gaming in general is ha- racking up so many view hours and they don't need traditional this is the esports book that you need to pay for to be successful right like Yep. With the way esports works today, it's still in growth mode. And in order for you to grow, you can't do exclusive uh, deals. Um, if you do, you probably won't even get paid that much because it's just not worth it for these media platforms to... The way the industry's moved, right? Like, you you can get more views out of one content creator than you can out of an esports league, right? So why would you pay uh, esports leagues um you know to it, because the way the current media distribution channels and platforms work is you know they're off of view hours they're off of you know generic uh display ads it's not like high uh high value monetization that they're do that they're doing it's more how can i rack up more view hours for the you know, millions of sponsors that I have, not sponsors, but like advertising partners that I have on a media platform, right? And, and so, you know, when I see a lot of these esports leagues really banking uh, on media rights, I think they're stuck in kind of the traditional NFL, NBA world. And that's just not going to happen for us anytime. Soon. Um, so I'm very negative on it. Uh, I think any esports league that, in, that depends on that is just not going to work. Like, it has to be a digital revenue stream. I mean, even with um, other leagues that have launched around events and ticketing, right from the beginning, and this was five years ago, I said, this thing's never good, right? If you look at our audience, if you look at the way they like to consume esports, they do not want to pay $100 to come to a match every week. Like, that's just not how this industry works, right? Um, And, you know, even to this day, like. You know, eSports and gaming, we have a lot of influence. We have a great audience. But can we really monetize that only through sponsorships? I don't think so. I think that's just key. Uh, and, and I think if you do too much in terms of the broadcast towards sponsors, you kind of lose the soul of what makes that broadcast fun. Um, so you almost need... It, it's kind of obvious, right? Like, what do gamers want? Do they really want to... You know, come to a match and buy a jersey, or do they actually just want to buy a skin, right? What do you think is the easier yeah. sell, right? And, and you know, and there are the core core demographic that do want to come to a match that do want to buy the jersey, but you'd be surprised the vast majority have zero interest in paying, you know, a ton of money to travel to go buy a ticket and and do all of that. It's just a very different culture, um, so. You know, in terms of media rights, again, like I'm very negative on it. You know, I think there's some dollars there, but it's not a lot. Um, So I I would actually be much more uh, excited about a different economy rather than just one that's based on traditional sports.
3: I love the comparison to buying a skin, which not only may be easier at their fingertips, but also a more accommodating price point. I'm curious your thoughts and maybe what we can expect at at Gen G in the future. You know, we look at the Call of Duty shop. You could look at the the Halo item shop. You see some really interesting uh, permanent or at least semi permanent. Uh, purchasable skins for different teams that are involved with those games. We saw FaZe Clan do their activation with FIFA last year. I'm curious, you know, uh, so again, you know, this is maybe now a combination of merch, but digital skins and digital merch. Uh, what's what's your stance on, I think, those types of activations? And, and can we expect any of that out of you guys in the near future?
4: Um, absolutely, right. We are, as an organization, especially with kind of my view uh, both on the general economy which i think we're heading into a, a deep recession, uh so i'm very negative about that sorry for being so negative here um but uh, uh you mean, know uh, i agree arnold i, I <laughs> totally agree so i mean uh you're not gonna you're not gonna get much pushback here uh but also is specifically towards esports and and kind of that that esports winter that i talk about um we are no longer interested in expanding into any esports title without some sort of partnership with the publisher, right? And some sort of right. let's give it a shot to build a digital economy, right? Um, I think gone are the days of this title is hot, and therefore we should expand into it because that grows our audience, and then we can monetize the audience only through sponsorships. Like that's over, right? Like you know, I'm taking a hard line and only expanding or even sometimes like cutting games that do not have that publisher partnership. And what I mean by publisher partnership is not like, you know, the person that runs the league is super friendly and and super smart. And that's important as well. But is there an opportunity for us to monetize monetize the fan base that we're able to build around esports, right? And and is there a way to do it, whether it's skin shops, whether it's doing publisher partnerships around launching and advertising the game. Um, and you know, and luckily, we're getting uh, approached by a lot of publishers, even today, that are interested in this specifically to work with the right esports organizations. Um, and, and so I think that's where the industry is headed. Um, it's going to be a fewer, fewer esports orgs uh, that partner with publishers, um, but they're going to be the ones that are able to actually monetize and build digital economies um that you know reward reward esports orgs for building a fandom right like i i'm actually pretty negative on the franchise model because i i just feel like it was it hinges on kind of a media rights based uh, organization so it's like buy a spot and sometimes just hang on for dear life and pay the minimum in salaries for you know uh <laughs> while you wait for the media check like that works in sports, yeah. but I think it's going to be much more pay for performance in the esports world. Of can you actually grow a fandom? Can you grow a community? You know, and does that community have a way to engage within the game? Uh, you know, with with the esports orgs that are you know investing so much into that game. Uh, and so that's that's kind of where we're drawing a hard line. And, and I think a lot of other esports orgs will do the same.
2: What is the temperature in the room with the game publishers when you talk about this, Arnold, like more like deeper partnerships and and more tightly knit economics, right? Because it feels like from the outside and even, you know, with some insider knowledge that up until this point, developers have fallen sort of into two categories. Esports is a profit center and a cash grab. And, you know, we can we can sell franchise slots for a lot of money and whether it works for the teams, well, you know, maybe. Um, and the other, the other bucket feels like eSports is a marketing expense, right? It gets more people to download the game and buy skins. Um, and I'm curious if, if one group or the other of publishers in your mind has been more receptive to the partnership model in general. Are they, are they hesitant? Are they resistant to this idea? Um because I, I love the way you've articulated it in terms of this being a necessary shift to make these business models sustainable. I'm just I'm just curious if the developers are on board or or is there
4: real pushback? Uh, absolute pushback, right? Like if you think about the incentives and the way that they're aligned for publishers, uh it's like, okay, let's say I make a skin for Genji, right? Versus, I make a skin on my own. Our colors are black and gold, so I'm assuming it's gonna be black and gold for for uh for a Gen G skin versus just a generic black and gold skin. Today, you would make more money as a publisher doing a generic black and gold skin than you would even a phase clan or you know a, a super top been around been in the game for 20 years uh, skin, right? So why should I cut a piece? To the esports team um, instead of just making it on my own, just making something super cool. So the majority of people that buy skins buy it because they're cool, not because they're affiliated with an esports organization. That's, that's the way the market works today. Um, and a lot of publishers also held out hope that media rights or something else could come in and, and make these uh, loss leading uh, esports centers uh, profitable. Um, but yep. what I think publishers have realized is that it's not going to happen right? Like waiting on big media rights, hoping that esports can just figure it out on their own, that, you know, that there was an opportunity for a cash grab and they were able to take it in terms of franchising. You know, I think it existed for a time, but now we're coming in to the esports winner where now all of a sudden the venture money has dried up where they're not interested in pure play esports organizations and pure play franchises, like that's over, right? And so I think publishers and teams are now in a creative destruction process where they've recognized that the previous business models that they've tried don't work, that in order for them to have an esports ecosystem and a competitive ecosystem, um, that they need to build out this digital economy for it to work for teams. Otherwise, it's just going to die out, right? And so yep. I think we're getting into that phase where they've recognized that, hey, you know, if we don't build a digital economy, if we don't build something that can prop up all of these teams, teams will leave, the competitive scene will dry up. You can't rely on that franchise model alone to do it for you. Um, and and I, I think we're, it's actually a healthy thing for esports, right? Because- yep you know, the way the market's currently brought up is that like, hey, you love um, you love a game and you love the competitive aspect of it. Here's a car, like you should buy this car. Like that's, that's kind of the sponsorship model, right? It doesn't make sense, <laughs> right? Like I love basketball. I want to buy a basketball shoe. It, it kind of makes a lot more sense, right? Or I want to buy a ticket to a basketball. Um, yeah. But I think with eSports, it was kind of a bait and switch Relying so much on, just on sponsorships alone. Uh, and then with media rights really not being worth uh, as much, I think the industry is moving towards a future that's going to be much more uh, a partnership model with publishers. And, and I think pu- pu- publishers see the value in a competitive scene, right? And the ones that are really great at it um, recognize that having that vibrant competitive scene is super valuable. Um, and I think those w- are going to be the ones that invest more and build out more when it comes to those digital economies.
2: Interesting. I, I'm curious how you think about then, like the whole play to earn, blockchain games, NFT game kind exactly of ecosystem. Exactly where I was going, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it, it sounds a little bit like, and, and maybe to their detriment, they start with sort of digital economy and, and this kind of thinking first. And, and the game sometimes feels very secondary. But is it something you're looking at from an esports perspective? Is it something that you think has promise? um and may, and may you know may supplant call it traditional games uh
4: because of their more maybe more sustainable economies sure uh, and this is one area that uh is near and dear to my heart i mean i as, as we talked about like i used to work at google i used to like you know when we were doing my startup like i was learning how to code and i built you know like facebook login and <laughs> a bunch of stuff that uh that is uh I, I'm I'm a techie at, at at the core, right? So anything new and shiny, like I absolutely love. Um but at the same time I'm also a gamer too, right? Yeah. And the vast majority of Web3 games are complete ass. <laughs> they are I'll, so I'll, I'll correct bad. you, Arnold. They're they're all, all of them. <laughs> I don't know if there's <laughs> a good
2: one. I haven't seen a good one yet.
4: But what I also know when I take a step back is that If I look at the level of talent that have moved into Web3, some of the best, best game development talent out there in the world have now moved into Web3 and are working on their game. They're just not shouting it from the rooftop. Right. So if I look at where the industry is going to go, they're going to make great games because that's literally what they've done their entire career. And the vast majority of a lot of the most talented, smart people I know have moved into Web3. So when it comes to that first problem that I talk about of will there be good games at the core instead of there? It's kind of like if you're launching a game and you're saying, I'm going to make a battle pass game or I'm going to make a, uh, a gotcha game. Like that shouldn't be the core, right? The core needs to be I'm going to launch a great game. And then the business model that's going to power that could be web, could be gotcha, could be mobile, could be, you know, battle passes and that stuff, right? So I think what we're going to get to is that there's going to be great games free-to-play with Web3 components uh, in, inherent in it. Will it be fair? Will it be cosmetics only? Will it be, you know, I'll leave that up to the game publishers to decide. The way that I think about Web3 is it's kind of like being on the ground floor of the next League of Legends. Except they want to give you a spot and say, look, do you want to help us build the right economy from the ground floor? Like, would I, 10, 15 years ago, if somebody told me that and said, hey, we're go- you're going to be on the ground floor of developing the digital economy for League of Legends uh, eSports. If I had to sit at that table, I, I feel like the, the way the economy has been built out, the way that, you know, the amount of skins, the amount of support that esports teams have, I think it would be radically different than what we have today. So that's kind of the way I view it is that I have learned as much as I can about the web three world, obviously with, you know, our chairman Kev Chu and and his moves in web three, like we're pretty involved and we understand uh, where a lot of developments are happening. Um, And so for me, I, I think it's really important that every eSports organization understand how web three works. Um, but at the same time, most of those experiences today are not very good, and that's why we've stayed away from you know some of the other things that other people have done. like I don't know, like when I see some of the fan membership stuff and the way that it's executed, like it just doesn't make sense, right? Like it's like, know, yeah. you're not creating new experiences inherently on the blockchain and it's kind of like, you can kind of do what they're saying they want to do without utilizing the blockchain at all. And like, then it's like, why do you need that technology? Right. And so um, we've been looking very earnestly and very excited about what the future can bring because there's so much development that can happen. Uh, And and kind of the, the analogy that I always point to is like, imagine you have the internet, Five years too early before it launches, except every single Times Square billboard is talking about the Internet. Of course, you're going to get the core audience being like, what the hell is this? right <laughs> through the Internet? Right. And I think yeah. that's what happened is that the marketing moved faster than the technology and what people built. And luckily, with the way the crypto markets have turned the other way, now we're going back to the builders right? The people that are going to be building legitimate experiences because they've raised a ton of money. They have the talent. They're working on pretty bleeding edge stuff, except bleeding edge stuff takes time, especially in the gaming world. And so um, I think the future is still very bright. What we've seen and experienced today as it currently stands of sucks, or especially for gamers that, uh, you know, kind of have a, a core that, uh, that don't care about the earning side. And just want to play a good game
2: yeah i mean there's i totally agree arnold there's no you're not going to get the screen from me and i've very publicly said very similar things um i think deep down there's a nagging thing in my brain that still to this day asks the question you know is it like if i told you if i if i if i got the greatest game designer in the world sid meyer right made civilization and master varian some of the greatest video games ever ever created and I told him, "Make me a slot machine, right? Just because it's Sid Meier, could the slot machine be fun? Probably not, right? And so I always worry that the economics and the tokens and the NFTs and the earning is a is a rigid enough box that maybe the games can never be that fun or that good, um, and that always, you know." I, I, I think the jury in my own mind is still out on that, but I do think um, it's definitely attracting a lot of talent and that's interesting. Um, I just had one last question before we move to our last segment, everyone's favorite new segment. Um, And that is you guys operating in North America and Asia, I think is unique. It's interesting. Um, Any lessons learned, any similarities, differences, things that have worked in one market, that have not worked in the other. I think it's kind of insight that our audience would love to
4: hear. Um, You know, one thing that's really interesting in terms of the evolution of esports in Asia versus North America is that I think in Asia, there's more of a competitive focus, right? Like if you don't clear a a certain competitive bar, uh, you basically just don't exist as an organization, uh, especially, uh, especially out in Korea. Um but ah, it's interesting if you think about the sports in general, right? And I always talk about this, right? And and it's one of those things where I think orgs are unfairly criticized for leaning harder into the content creator side and the influencer side. Are you gonna watch a Jake Paul fight or are you gonna watch a Canelo fight? The vast majority of people, especially younger folks, they don't watch a Jake Paul fight. Right? Yep. And and uh And I think that's interesting, right? When you see content creators doing better numbers than um, any esports. And I think, sorry, um, I think that's kind of where a lot of people are figuring out what to do. So, one of the things that has happened, especially in North America, that I've noticed is that publishers have leaned hard into content creators and streamers, which is good, which is great. but the problem is that they've also recognized that content creators, by definition, can't and won't be loyal to just one specific title. They kind of hop around between different titles. So, you know, I, I think there was a, oh, it's going to be eSports. Then they moved quickly over to, oh, it's going to be content creators and streamers. And now we're kind of getting into, wait, it has to be both, right? Yep. Yes, there needs to be a content creator and streamer scene around your game, but you also need a core competitive side in a core competitive league because that's going to be consistent, right? Versus content creators will move to whatever Among Us, Fall Guys. Like there's there's just always going to be the next new hot thing, which is the cycle that they need to be on to be successful as a content creator, right? And so how do you combine those two instead of is it one or the other is I think a, a big, is one of the things where in Asia, it was always like that, right? Like you kind of needed the competitive theme and you needed content creators versus I think in the U.S., it was more like they were, people were kind of hopping one versus the other uh, and kind of a knee jerk ping pong type of reaction. But I think we're getting to a future that's a little bit more stable. Publishers are figuring out how they need to um, create an ecosystem that actually makes sense. Um, and, and I think there's a, an onus on a lot of publishers to now recognize that like, yeah, we got to figure this out. Otherwise, the competitive team's is going to die. The esports team's is going to die. Uh, yep. And so I think there's much more willingness on the publishers side now to figure this out versus before it was like, I just need to mention the word esports and there are people are going to throw money at. Me. Well, those 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 <laughs> times are done. Right. And so yep. we're just in this new phase and, I, and I'm excited to uh, get through it.
2: Very cool. Um, I just very quickly, we do a quick segment where we get behind uh, the scenes a little bit. Arnold. get to know you a bit better as a gamer, uh, as a as a person. Um, and so we call this the Judge Jimmy's cross-examination. We'll keep it very short because I know we're running low on time sure. here. Just one or two quick questions. Judge Jimmy, take it away.
3: All right. I think I know the answer to this first one, Arnold, given your your comments about playing League over at Google. But what is your favorite video game either right now or of all time?
4: Ooh, you know, I would say my all time probably league. Um, just because that's kind of how I was able to launch and have a career in esports. Uh, even though I was a Shake of one trick. Uh <laughs> you know, it still it still led me to to you know getting on a, a team at Google and, and getting everything started. These days, you know, I still uh my the only game that I play though uh, competitively is overwatch uh, and I've been kind of waiting until overwatch 2 to kind of reboot that. um the funny thing is like i I joined the eSports because I love gaming, but the reality is like I have no time. so I'm pretty I'm pretty <laughs> terrible at every single game that I play when I', I trying to be good um, so historically, I would say my favorite game was league. these days, um, I'm waiting for overwatch to kind of re- to play competitive um you know those are probably two of my favorite games that i've played
3: we'll have to have you back on after overwatch two drops and get your early thoughts but but two great (laughs) answers uh we'll keep this short i suppose and do one more uh new question for you arnold that we haven't asked other guests before i just a lot of your conversation was leading us to the metaverse type of conversation and i want to get your take uh so just Quick temperature read on the future of the metaverse, whatever that means to you, whatever that looks like with regard to social environments and, and connectivity. Uh, are you a big fan? Are you really excited? Are you on the fence? It's something you don't put a lot of stock into. Where where to, to, do you land with regard to, to what you think the metaverse will, will be?
4: Um, I think we're going to be. There's going to be so many great games at launch. Um, but they're not going to launch this year. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing some really amazing games launch starting next year. I think you're going to start seeing some early alphas uh, at the end of this year. Um, just a t- pipeline of games that we'll be launching will be tremendous just because the talent that's creating great games will be tremendous. And so the way I think about it is for the first time, if you're uh, a Sid Meier, but you know, a young Sid Meier, uh, you have access to capital, fund your game very early. Uh, and the amount of capital that's out there to be able to fund the next generation of talent, uh, just and and to solve some of these problems around, hey, how can you not have a pay to win economy where you know a competitive game where you just pay to win everything instead, and how can you create something where there's a reward for being just really amazing at that game, right? And I I I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's going to be a, a <laughs> game changing. Uh, thing that that comes through and and I'm super excited to see it and I think more and more esports organizations, publishers you know, behind the scenes when I I talk to every single leader at at publishers at esports work, they're super excited they want to go all in. Publicly they can't say anything because they're worried about the backlash Um, and I think a lot of the problems that currently exist are real and the way you know, the reason why fans are angry and hate Everything with web three, I think they're for real valid reasons and those, but the, it's the difference that I, the different part of the view that I have is that those valid reasons that people, you know, don't like the smartest w- minds in the world are working today to fix those core problems. And, you know, I, I anytime you have people that are so that this intelligent, this smart and with this much capital, I assume that they're going to be able to fix those problems.
3: I think I opened the door on another episode there. So I appreciate the, the elaborate thought behind the question, Arnold. Um, last one, last one. I promise favorite gaming snack. What, what are you eating when you're playing overwatch when you're eating league? And I promise we'll, we'll let you go.
4: Um, so I'm 37 now. So I try to be healthier. So I, I want to say sparkling water is all I'll, all, all I'll <laughs> snack on, but you know, if, if I want to, if I have my cheat day, I'll be eating hot Cheetos nonstop, even though it, crushes the uh the keyboard and the mouse but like he just can't hot cheetos are so good
2: they're
4: too (laughs) addicting
3: awesome arnold thanks so much for coming on i'm giving you back to paul but i'll see you soon
2: arnold um for people who want to follow what you guys are doing or you personally how can they find you or how can how do you want to be found or followed
4: uh sure so i'm i'm on twitter i mean our esports org is gen g g e n g uh And then you can find me as well, uh, ArnoldWH on Twitter. So please follow me, uh, smash that subscribe button or whatever it is. Uh, But um, yeah, uh, you know, happy to always engage uh, and, and, you know, uh, and talk about this stuff anytime. Thank you for having me on the show. I mean, Arnold, congrats on all the success of Genji. Uh,
2: amazing story. and uh, i love I, I love the candor and sort of the real the real take on what's going on in eSports. and I, I think you guys are just doing it smarter than uh, just about anyone else. So um, someone to follow for our listeners absolutely, and follow what the what Genji's uh, doing cause I think it's the model. Um, just a quick couple quick reminders. Um, make sure to follow Business of Esports everywhere on Instagram, on Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, you name it. Uh subscribe to our brother and sister podcast, Meta Business, Meta Woman. So much great metaverse and web three content coming out of those podcasts. Uh and don't forget the absolute most important thing, the future is fun. We'll see you guys next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Business of Esports podcast. Check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on Twitter at Biz Esports.
5: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them